All right, so this morning um, we're going to continue on our series on Galatians, and we're going to ultimately be looking at chapter 2. And so the message is titled, Living by the Spirit, Part 2. And one of the things that we've been contending for that the Lord said to press in for in 2023 is a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we've been asking this question of how do we live by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit? And the thing that we heard um, the Holy Spirit highlight, at least for the start of the year, is to study through the book of Galatians. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. Um, in chapter 1, we, we preached a couple weeks ago about chapter 1. And um, really, the, the focus of chapter 1 was to remember the gospel of grace. And Paul was um, encouraging the Galatians to not trade in the authentic gospel for a new or distorted gospel. Right? And the... Um, the grace, just so we capture our definition again, often we say that grace is unmerited favor, and it is unmerited favor, but it's not just unmerited favor. Grace is divine empowerment, right? It's actually the ability and the authority from God to us in order to accomplish something that we could never do ourselves. That's what grace is. And, um, and there's a, a grace that was poured out upon us or this divine empowerment and so the key number one that we learned in Galatians 1 was um, receiving the divine empowerment that God is pouring out to you to walk in the fullness of he call, who he called you to be, just like Jesus. And that's what we're pressing for. At the start of Galatians 2, um, it, it, Paul sort of picks up right where he left off in chapter 1. It's sort of like where, however they decided to split it, right? You could have just kept going. But really, Paul was telling the, reminding the Galatians of his story in accessing this gospel of grace. How did he come upon the revelation of it? And he picks up right there at the beginning of chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Galatians chapter 2. And verse 1 says this, Then after an interval of 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus also along. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that somehow I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Yet it was a concern because of the false brothers secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy on our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to enslave us. But we did not yield in subjection to them, even for an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would, remi- would remain with you. But from those who were considerable of considerable repute, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism. Well, those who were of repute contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who was at work for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised was at work for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, which is Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. So Paul goes to Jerusalem in humility. He's basically saying, this is the revelation that I have, that I've been going and taking to the Gentiles. 
and he goes with Barnabas and Titus um, and submits it to sort of check out with the leadership of the church if the work that he is doing, what they say. Are they in agreement? And some of the Jewish believers, they wanted all of the Gentiles to be circumcised. Where did circumcision come from? The law, right? Every Jewish man is circumcised. It's just the way that it is. It was part of the Mosaic law. It was part of the covenant that um, has been established over the years, generation after generation after generation within that body of, of, of people. Um, but the gospel of grace said that the Gentiles should be accepted just the way that they were. They didn't have to have a physical physical severing, right? They really needed a, a circumcision of the heart, right? But the reality is that there were some of the Jewish faith who felt like, you know, this is something we're not going to let go. We, we want to see the physical demonstration in their body that they are circumcised unto the Lord, right? And so they were asking that the gospel of grace would have this additional clause, if you're not circumcised, you need to be circumcised, right? Um that's a distorted gospel. That's not the gospel that Jesus came to present. And the Christian leaders at that time, James, Peter, and John, agreed with Paul. And they said circumcision for the Gentiles was unnecessary. It wasn't bad if you were circumcised. It's not like you're, you're in trouble, right? Oh, all the Jewish people that had been circumcised, or any Gentile believer who had been circumcised, right? But if you're putting your hope and your faith in circumcision, that act, that's not the gospel, right? Um, and so those religious leaders, they said to Paul and Barnabas and Titus, um, it's fine for the Gentiles not to be circumcised. It's not in the gospel of grace. Only remember the poor. And Paul says, that was already in my heart. I'm always going to remember the poor. Verse 11, it goes on. It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, that's where Paul was stationed, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Feels pretty harsh, right? For prior to the coming of some men from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and separate himself, fearing those from the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So what's hypocrisy? It's when you, your behaviors don't match your words. You're saying one thing, but then you're living a different way, right? What's the fear of man, right? Peter was freely engaging with the Gentiles. He was eating with the Gentiles, associating with the Gentiles, right? Prior to this new revelation that the gospel was for the Gentiles, was it okay for Jewish people to associate with Gentiles? No, right? So you can see where the confusion comes into play because all the way up to Jesus going through the cross and the new revelation that God's heart was for all mankind, not just for the Jewish people, right? There was in their culture, it was established that you're not supposed to associate with Gentile believers. You're not supposed to eat at the same table with Gentiles. And so here Peter was in Antioch with Paul, Barnabas, whoever else was there. They're associating obviously with Gentiles because their whole ministry is for the Gentiles. So they're eating and fellowshipping and hanging out because the gospel of grace says that they're perfectly okay just the way they are, right? And then some men come from James, right? James has already said that it was okay that they didn't need to be circumcised. But some of the men came from James, and what did Peter start doing? He started slinking away. 
They're having their gathering over here instead of staying at the table. He's like, well, maybe I should just hang out over here because I'm a little worried about what the men from James are going to say. And because of his actions, which speak louder than words, all of the other Jewish believers came over here as well, causing a division or a separation between those who were of the Jewish believers and those who were the Gentile believers. Is that the gospel of grace? No. And so Paul obviously says, this isn't okay. <laughs> um, our, sort of where the rubber meets the road question, like we did in Galatians 1, here's the aside question for you. Right? You can choose to look at this or you could ignore it. Are there any ways that you or me are choosing to partner with the fear of man that causes you to walk in a manner that contradicts what you profess to believe? Only you can answer that question. That would be hypocrisy. Right? So think about the things that you believe, the things that you declare, and then think about the way that you live. Are there any actions, any ways that, that you've, you've gotten into a habit of living in a manner that when you actually you look at it, you stop and you take time to look at it, you say, that's not the gospel of grace. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what I really believe. And yet the reality is what you live is really what you believe, right? So anyway, so look at that. That's what the issue they were looking at in Galatians chapter 2. Verse 14, it says, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? So Paul confronts Peter. Confrontation is a part of community. It's actually really healthy. Most people hate confrontation, or they're scared to death of it, right? They're just afraid, right? But the reality is confrontation is really critical. It's important and necessary. And so there's two questions that we can look at with that for today for us is, are you confrontable? Again, you can only answer that. Or is your first response to confrontation, someone comes at you with confrontation, hopefully they're doing it in love. You can't guarantee how they're going to come at you, right? But is your first response to be defensive or to get offended, right? Remember, no one can offend you. Do you guys believe that? Offense is something that you take on. We often blame the other person, but the reality is it's, it's something inside of you that God wants to sort of reveal and show why that offense was there. And usually when he does that, it's for your good because he wants to bring you into a greater measure of life, right? And so anyway, it's good to know ourselves. The other is, are you willing to confront? Say you have a brother or sister in the Lord. Are you willing to confront them in love if you see them walking in hypocrisy where their behaviors don't match up or line up with what they speak or declare to believe? And the key is in love, right? I think one thing that I learned from this passage, even though it, it feels like um, I'm going to trust that Paul knew that the measure of confrontation that he did with Peter, 
which when I first look at it, it feels like, wow, that's pretty intense. Because not only did he, did he confront him right to his face, but he also did it in front of a whole grouping of people. But I think the reality, as I sort of step back and look at it, is what Peter was doing was causing an undermining to the whole work of what Paul had invested in in these Gentile believers. It was necessary to make a statement of the truth of the gospel of grace within the community because the offense had taken place within the community, if that makes sense. One of the, that phrase in, um, to his face, I love it because often what I see in the lives of people is that we love to confront people, but we don't like to do it to people's faces. It's very easy to utilize social media to confront people because you never have to look at them. You don't have to interact with them. I'm going to encourage you. If that's your method of confronting people, please stop. Don't even pick up the phone. Don't text. Set up a time with them. If you're truly confronting in love because you want, you're recognizing that there's an area of their life that isn't matching up and you want to bring it about um, for them, set up a time with them and go in love. And then your first thing not be an accusation. Let your first words out of your mouth be a question. This is something I'm seeing. Like process with the person. Does that make sense? Right? So this is, I'm just pulling this out. But the reality is I think it's important. We're having a family meeting today. This is a family business, a family issue. How do we confront one another? Right? And there may be some in our family, if you look back over the past five years, there's ways where we haven't done a good job confronting. We have actually done more damage in our efforts to declare what was right And it severed and caused division in the body of Christ. And it actually grieves the Holy Spirit rather than um, him applauding us. And so all that being said is Paul recognized when Peter was not, um, when he was walking in hypocrisy. (laughs) And he didn't cower because of Peter's status. Right? Peter was an apostle before Paul. Peter walked on water, right? Peter walked with Jesus. Did Paul walk with Jesus? Not till he got his buck knocked down, right? You get it? You could have said, well, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. But the reality is he couldn't let it go because it was so contrary to the truth of the gospel of grace. Um, All right. Verse 15. He goes on and he says, we are Jews by nature, right? That's one thing Peter and Paul had in common. Paul was Jewish also, right? He wasn't a Gentile going to Gentiles. He was a Jewish believer who was also circumcised. He knew the law inside and out going to Gentiles. Um, We are Jews by nature, not sinners from the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a person is not justified by works of the law But through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So that raises the question, are we justified by the law or by faith? Right? We say faith, but what do you really believe? 
It's not a rhetorical question. Because really, the, the, the way to know what you believe is how do you live? Are there still measures of the law that you're trying to incorporate into your life in order to earn something from God? That's a question we're going to look at today. Verse 17 says, But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Far from it. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a wrongdoer. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Obviously, the key verse that if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you've probably heard, you've been told to memorize, like, is verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's done. It's not I'm being crucified with Christ. It's I have been crucified. When you accepted Jesus into your heart and decided to follow him with your whole life, that he's going to be your Lord and Savior, you were crucified with him. Obviously, the symbol of that that we have in the sacraments is baptism, right? Um, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. All of you, all of you before accepting Jesus has been crucified. Did you get it? It's, it's your whole body. It's your whole being. It's your, it's your, all of the sin, right? All sickness, all guilt, all shame, but all of you was crucified with Christ and no longer lives. It goes on and says, but Christ lives in me. That's the divine exchange. You gave your life for him. He already gave his life for you, right? This, it's a beautiful picture. Um, I love the verse, I am a new creation. That's what this symbolizes. When you accept Jesus into your heart, it's a miracle. Because you were one thing and now you're no longer that thing. Now you're a new creation. It goes on, says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And that's this concept of divine empowerment. His grace. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of the God. How I continue moving forward here is all by faith in the Son of God. It's his divine empowerment that's allowing me to do what I could never do on my own. Um, if you're still trying to earn your salvation... Christ died needlessly. He didn't need to die. The reality or the truth is you can never earn your salvation. No matter how hard you try. Right? Um, Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God. I love that. Are there any ways that you're nullifying the grace of God? Remember the questions that we asked at the end of the message on Galatians 1. I'm going to repeat them real quick. 
Are there ways that you've abandoned or accepted a distorted version of the gospel of grace that you received when you accepted Jesus into your heart? Are there any areas that you're trying to earn from God? We talked about love. We talked about favor. Or maybe it's a particular outcome to a situation. Are, Are there ways that you've detracted or added from the truth of the gospel? in order to make your circumstances or disappointment with God, with what God hasn't done, more palatable? Is your relationship with God a checklist relationship or a relationship centered on conversation, intimacy, and engagement? Is your walk with God marked by striving or by grace? Grace involves receiving Resting and remaining. These are all good questions to sort of examine your heart, to do an authentic assessment. If there's any ways that you are living in a manner that's consistent more with law than the gospel of grace. Obviously, Paul thought it was really critical for the Galatian churches not to abandon or not to add into that gospel of grace, that pure, authentic gospel. And I think the Holy Spirit is highlighting, if you want to walk in the Spirit, if you want to live in the Spirit, then we can't do that either. There need, we need to get back to the authentic gospel of grace. And so really the question for today is, are you receiving the divine empowerment or grace that God's pouring out to you? You'll know whether you are based on the answers to the other questions. Does that make sense? So if you find that in your, as you look at your life, you examine yourself, if there's a lot of striving to accomplish stuff, you're probably not walking in the, you're not receiving the full grace that's on towards you. If your relationship with God is all about a checklist, I just got to do this, 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 and this, but it's not about intimacy and conversation and engaging him, you're probably living more on this side of the law. Because the law was all about do this, don't do this. That's how you get in God's graces. But the authentic gospel is all about receiving the grace that he, he poured out, receiving what he did. It's all about receiving. It's not supposed to be hard. It's just about receiving and believing that what he said and what he did is actually true. Um, we're going we're gonna to end today with communion. And so... Um, Really, the picture that I had when I was thinking about um, the the communion um, portion was that as we as we take the bread, obviously we know that that Jesus's body was broken for each of us, and um, and he willingly said yes to endure all that he endured leading up to the cross and going through the cross for you and me. 
for the sake of love. Um, and as we, as we read that verse 20, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I thought it would be good as we take the bread just to reflect a minute on your life. What was crucified? Obviously, it's assuming you have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know everybody in the room, right? But if you've said yes to Jesus and you've invited him into your heart and you declared him to be Lord and Savior, then you were crucified with Christ. And so take a moment just to think about that picture. All that you were before you became a believer was crucified with Christ. It's done. Let's take the bread. Jesus, I pray that you um, would give us um, both today and in this week a clearer revelation of the truth of that scripture. That all of who we were, including our sin, sickness, guilt, and um, shame, all of it was crucified on the cross with you. You bore it. For us. And I just say thank you. Thank you for your yes. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for making a way for all of that part of me <laughs> to be crucified. Because it hasn't served me and it never has. And then as we take the cup, the picture he was showing me was of divine empowerment that he pours out for us. But we need to receive it. And so I saw the, I saw his, the cup represents his blood that was shed for you and me. It, again, it was his choice. And he said yes to us. And as we drink the cup today, I'm going to pray that we receive a fresh measure of the divine empowerment that he's pouring out to us, this grace. So let's take the cup together. Lord, would you allow us to linger <laughs> in your grace? That you would give us a, a revelation of us receiving the divine empowerment that you're pouring out to us. It started when we said yes to you, and it has continued and continued. The, the flow of your divine empowerment or grace that's on towards us, it never stops. There's a continual flow of grace that's being poured out towards us for us to receive. And so, Lord, we pause, we stop, and we, we're consciously aware of it this morning. 
and we say, I receive your grace. I receive your divine empowerment. And I thank you for it. Again, the authority and the ability to do what I could never do on my own. And that's the gift that you have for us as we are followers of Jesus. We're becoming more and more like him. But we could never do it on our own. It's only by your divine empowerment. And so we say thank you. And we celebrate what you're doing in this season and how you're going to be leading us into more and even more and even more that we truly can walk in the Spirit in fresh ways. We can live by the Spirit. We have a greater understanding of what that means. We thank you that when we take communion, it's not just a ritual or a symbol. It's actually a prophetic act. And so we give our faith, we lend our faith to what you just had us walk through, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would see the fruits of that in these next days, weeks, and months to come. And then, Lord, I ask that you would... Um, would seal the word that went out this morning like seed upon our hearts. I pray that there would be um, just an abundant harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold. And that we truly would be the bearers like Paul of the gospel of grace. We'd be the champions of the gospel of grace. And that we would be known within our city and our community and even to the nations as those who who truly carry and embody the gospel of grace. That's what we see with Paul. He was a champion of your gospel. And we say yes to that as well. And then, Lord, the other areas that you touched on, I pray that there would just be a grace for anybody where you highlighted any areas of hypocrisy or things that you will reveal in these next days where their behaviors don't match with their what they say or what they believe. And Lord, I just pray for grace in that process. You're setting captives free. It's what you do. And you always lead us into greater measures of life. And we saw in the pre-service prayer that you were flipping on light switches to sh- expose any lies that we were currently believing, either knowingly or unknowingly. And you do it not to bring about condemnation, but you do it to to lead us into greater measures of life because your truth sets us free. And so, Lord, would you continue that process? And then, Lord, in areas, any areas of confrontation where you highlighted maybe ways that we didn't go about it well or haven't in these past years, Lord, if there would be anybody that you would have us go back to and apologize to, would you put it on our hearts? There's any bridges that we need to repair, any relational connections that we need to restore. Would you, would you give us grace to walk through it? Would you give us courage to walk through it? To truly be your vessels of love. And if there's new things that we're seeing in people's lives, Lord, would you give us a grace to, to go to them in love, 
face to face, as a brother to a brother or a brother to a sister, would you give us grace to love one another well and to partner with each other to see each other bring, brought into the fullness of life that you meant for us? And would you give us a grace to receive any um, correction without becoming defensive or offendable or offended? That we would want to be pure before you. And we recognize that we don't always see ourselves, right? That's why we're established in a community where others are with us, walking on the walk with us. I just pray for grace for that process too. And so we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're doing and how you're leading us, Lord. We ask for your blessing on this week for every person who hears the sound of my voice, whether it's here in person or on the podcast. We just pray that you would be radically blessed this week. You would enter into into greater realms of grace and the divine empowerment that's on for you to accomplish all the things that you could never accomplish on your own. And we just celebrate what God's doing. And we say, thank you, Holy Spirit. We want to walk with you more. We continue to ask for a fresh baptism of your presence like they saw in Acts, right? Not just at Pentecost, but even later in the next chapter, I think it's four or five, that's another outpouring. We, we want a fresh outpouring. We need a fresh outpouring of your love and your power. We can truly walk in the things of the kingdom and bring about radical transformation in this city, in this county, into the nation and the nations. We trust you. And so we just ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.